Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. Today, Nikki Haley has not dropped out of the presidential race. Hunter Biden's prosecutor tries to pass off a photo of sawdust as cocaine. A winery host backs up Fonnie Willis's testimony. Rep Tim Burchett, or Burchett, whatever his name is, wrongly calls one of the Kansas City shooters an illegal immigrant. A judge demands Rudy Giuliani reveal who's paying his legal fees. President Biden will announce a major Russian sanctions package in response to the assassination of Alexei Navalny this Friday. And two men have been charged with murder in the Super Bowl parade shooting. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy hump day. Happy hump day to you and everyone out there listening. Mike, 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 Mike. I missed that commercial. I'm going to look that commercial up. And the camel who walks through the office, guess what day it is? <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I actually do. And I don't always get your reference. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, 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 Mike. And the lady's like, it's hump day. Yeah, yeah. Hump day. It's just, I don't know. I love that <laughs> ad. I think it was Geico. Anyway, hello. Geico Hi. is not a sponsor of the podcast, but happy Wednesday to you. And happy Wednesday to everyone who believed me when I said that all the shit Rudy brought in to Bill Barr's DOJ was Russian disinformation. Yay. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. We also, later in the show, we'll have uh, one of our first Keep It Blue segments. Nice. Yeah, with Alex Mohajer. He's running for California State Senate in Orange County, which we flipped blue, much to my surprise and happiness in 2018 during that blue tsunami. And we'd like to keep it that way. We definitely would. Also, Columbus, Ohio. I'm coming your way March 29th. Tickets on sale today, 10 a.m. Eastern for Natalie's Music Hall in Columbus. It's a pretty small venue, so you might want to jump on and get your tickets uh, pretty quickly. And um, you've got a Sunshine Cathedral show, don't you? 
I do. That's April 12th. That's my birthday. If you are near Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and you want to spend my birthday with me laughing, get your tickets on my website. It's danagoldberg.com. And you can get them there. And like I said, if you're in Central Oregon, got an earlier show than that, March 8th. And that's in Bend, Oregon. So again, you can get tickets on my website to that show. And that's I'd love the to see you there. one, right? That's that is. It's a ski weekend. Cool whole thing. Show. I know. I'm just promoting my show because... I'm selfish. Uh, it's an entire <laughs> ski weekend, but I know a lot of people, especially some Beans listeners, may not be skiers, but they're like, would like to hear Dana Goldberg. That's a reason to go. Yeah. Well, you know, I went to Coachella and I'm not a camping person. So, you know. Well, there you have it. All right. We have so much news to get to today that we have to do some quick hits. And to make a long story short, too late. All right. First up, Nikki Haley totally tricked Fox News and me, actually, when she said yesterday, she said she was going to make a announcement about the presidential race, you know, Tuesday at noon. It was kind of brilliant. She got them to all show up for it. Yep. And and she even said it. She's like, y'all thought you're mostly here because you think I'm going to drop out. Well, I'm not. I'm going to be in this for the long haul. Even if I get my butt kicked in South Carolina this Saturday, I'm staying in the race. You know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but... Um, she she got Fox News to run an entire campaign speech with that. Uh, I mean, good for her. I, listen, I don't want her anywhere near the White House either. I think she's terrifying. But I'd also love that she's driving Donald Trump crazy. Mm, that's the that's the bonus. She's well funded, and she's making Trump spend money he doesn't have, nor does the RNC uh, or the NRA for that matter, uh, you know, to fund these things. So yeah, it, it, uh, the longer she stays in, the better it is for Democrats. Ironic. It's another woman taking Trump's money from him. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> Add that to the list of three. Thanks, AG. This one is Hunter Biden's attorneys argued on Tuesday that U.S. Attorney David Weiss's investigation into their client included some major factual errors, hmm. including mistaking a pile of sawdust for cocaine. <laughs> now, listen, I've seen them both. I can tell the difference. In a court filing, the law team, the law team challenged what the Department of Justice's discovery revealed cannot be taken, quote, at face value. In previous filings, Weiss had accused the president's son of taking a picture of several lines of cocaine. But Biden's team says otherwise, that Biden not only didn't, and we're talking about Hunter here, that Biden not only didn't take the photograph, but that the picture doesn't depict cocaine at all. Instead, the picture shows three lines of sawdust, jokingly propped by a carpenter who took the photograph and sent it to Biden's then psychiatrist, Dr. Keith Ablo, who in turn sent it to the junior Biden. (laughs) It's brown. And it's on a table saw. <laughs> I, you know, it's it. it I, I don't even know. I just I can't. I, I mean, if it was Junior, I would have believed. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's what's great. Marcy Wheeler pointed this out. She's like, it's sawdust. And then they cited her, actually, in this filing. So that was fun. And also, there's a filing for pretrial detention from David Weiss. And this is for Smirnoff, the indicted star witness of Jim Comer and Jim Jordan's impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. So first of all, it says in this filing that the lies about the Bidens and Burisma came from Russian intelligence. (laughs) Whoops. And he goes on to list all the Russian sources. Smirnoff could be also he could be charged with perjury for lying about his assets. He told him, I got like 1500 bucks in the bank or something. And it turns out he's got like access to millions and millions of dollars. Um, So he lied to the probation office and could be charged for perjury. So David Weiss is asking for that affidavit um, from the probation office to possibly use to supersede his indictment with a perjury charge. They said he's a flight risk because He's got access to all that money. He's got all of these contacts in Russia and he can get an Israeli pass. Even if he turns his passports in, he has two, a U.S. passport mm-hmm. and Israeli passport, a dual citizen. But even if he turns those in, he can get an Israeli passport at any time because of his dual citizenship from any Israeli consulate. And there's one like a few hours drive from Los Angeles. So he's he's a flight risk. And he also put in this filing that Smirnoff is currently working with Russian agents to spread disinformation about the Bidens and interfere in the 2024 election. So, Good Lord. The, wow. Like, not only has it been proven that this whole 1023 was Russian disinformation that came from Rudy and his pals, but that this guy is currently 
working with Russian-backed Ukrainians and others to try to influence this election. Um, so that happened today. Um, so not only does it blow, like we said, Comer and Jim Jordan's impeachment inquiry out of the water, which Comer's like, well, it's not looking like we have the math right now. Yeah, because yeah, you don't. You, you burnt. Not only that, but the whole entire time, Rudy was going around Ukraine and bringing shit back and giving it to his to Barr's buddy at the in Pittsburgh at the U.S. Attorney's Office. It was all Russian disinformation from Russian spies. So cool. I was right. Rad. Um, and it was it's funny because I know Marcy Wheeler was like, people have been DMing me saying um, that I should probably hold back on saying I told you motherfuckers. So <laughs> um, but so I'm going to hold back on that for now. <laughs> Like I'm not. That's, that's I funny. Just started sharing all of my threads from uh, 2020, 2021, where I was like, "This is Russian disinformation," and everybody was like, "You're insane, Russia, Russia, Russia! Right? Everything's a Russia hoax." Yeah. Well, guess what? I'm going to be having some a Smirnoff martini later tonight. All right, <laughs> we have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Zachary Cohen at CNN, after spending more than two hours tasting wine at a Napa Valley estate with her top prosecutor on the Georgia election subversion case, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis reached into her purse and pulled out about $400 in cash. Willis used the money to pay for two bottles of wine, each valued at roughly $150, and the $50 tasting, according to Stan Brody, who said he hosted Willis and her guest. And he later learned that guest was Nathan Wade mm. at Acumen Wines in early 2023. Brody, who was the estate ambassador for Acumen Wines that day, told CNN he was surprised when Willis paid using hundreds of dollars in cash, a memorable transaction, he said, as such cash sales are pretty rare in Napa Valley. The self-described news junkie said his memory was jogged as he watched Willis and Wade testify last week about their romantic relationship and bat down allegations of self-dealing while under oath. Willis testified last week that her use of cash explains why there's no paper trail documenting reciprocal payments that she made during her trips with Wade. Brody's account corroborates at least part of that testimony and lends credibility to Willis's argument that her cash expenditures show she did not benefit financially from her relationship with Wade, and thus she should not be disqualified from the case. Willis's father, John Floyd, testified at length about his longtime recommendation that his daughter keep cash around. Quote, I rang up a th the thing and I showed it to her. I was expecting a credit card, quite frankly. That's what the wine guy said to CNN in an interview Monday. Quote, and she says, I'll pay cash. And so that was that. So then I just put the cash in, made change for her, and she was very generous to me. So Fonnie Willis tips well. Brody looked back on his time with Willis and Wade positively. Quote, these are, he said, these are really nice people. I treat people at the winery every time. Uh, as if you're sitting in my living room. And they were kind the kind of people that if I was having a party at my home, I would have invited them. That's what I came away with. I am glad there's people testifying on her behalf. I just fucking ridiculous that they even have to. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people keep ledgers in their relationship of who pays for what. And that, you know, it's weird that she have cash. She was taught to have cash. Yeah, it's just gross. All right. This is from Alex Henderson at Alternet. In a bankruptcy court filing, a law firm representing unsecured creditors for former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani demanded information about his donors. <laughs> Giuliani recently filed for bankruptcy after being ordered to pay $148 million in damages to former Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, Heroes. Who, who, thank God, sued him for defamation and intentional infliction of emotional distress, and they won. But Giuliani's financial problems could become even worse as he's also facing a lawsuit from former employee Noel Dumphy, who accused him of rape and is seeking $10 million in damages for allegations that include sexual assault, wage theft, and harassment. And Giuliani is still a co-defendant in the Fulton County election interference case against former President Donald Trump. And he's also an unindicted co-conspirator in Jack Smith's January 6th case. He's got his hands full. <laughs> According to Bloomberg Law Reports, Evan Oxner and Randy Love, quote, Rudy Giuliani's creditors, as well as the judge overseeing his bankruptcy, are demanding details about who is paying his legal fees. Gary C. Fishoff of Berger, Fishoff, Schumann, Wexler, and Goodman LLP, one of Giuliani's bankruptcy lawyers, said during a court hearing Friday that Giuliani hadn't contributed to the fund. 
Judge Sean H. Lane of the U.S. Bankruptcy Court of the Southern District of New York pushed for a definitive answer in writing. Philip C. Dublin of Aiken Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld, <laughs> representing a committee of Giuliani's unsecured creditors, said Friday that the committee wants an itemized account of where the money came from, how it's managed, and how it's dispersed. So this is, I have a feeling, going to get Rudy in a lot of fucking trouble with this, too. God. Berger, Fischoff, Schumer, Wexler, and Goodman, Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld. <laughs> like, I know. Mm. All right. So, yeah, um, I think the best part of that story is that uh, Rudy's in bankruptcy court. So <laughs> we'll see how that ends up turning out. And from Justin Barragona at the Daily Beast, Rep Tim Burchett, I think it's, I think you say it, Burchett, backtracked on Monday afternoon and deleted a tweet that wrongly identified a local resident as being an illegal alien and one of the gunmen in the Kansas City Super Bowl parade shooting. This is just gross. According to the, I hope this guy sues the fuck out of him. I hope so too. According to the Knoxville News Sentinel, Burchett only deleted the post after the outlet contacted him Monday and asked about the tweet, which falsely claimed Kansas native Denton Loudermill was one of the suspected shooters. In the wake of the tragic shooting that left one dead and 22 others injured, plus yeah, there were children in there too. Social media was flooded with right-wing disinformation tying the shooting to illegal immigration, particularly around press photos of Loudermill being detained in cuffs by police near the scene. And before long, viral posts surfaced alleging that a 44-year-old illegal immigrant named Sahil Omar was identified as one of the shooters and had been arrested by Kansas City police, citing images of a detained Loudermill, the native Kansan. Mm-hmm. The Associated Press noted that the same Sahil Omar has been used to make similar erroneous claims about other recent tragedies, likely preying on fears about immigration and crime. Likely? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quote, at least one of the Kansas City Chiefs parade shooters identified as Sahil Omar, a 44-year-old illegal immigrant. One widely read tweet blared about the KC shooting. That's a, I was quoting a tweet there. Biden has failed to protect America from invasion and terrorism. That's what it read. It went viral. Feeding into the panic, Burchette tossed the following caption alongside an image of Loudermill. One of the Kansas City Chiefs' victory parade shooters has been identified as an illegal alien. Unquote. It was soon clear, however, that Burchette's claim was a lie. Within a day of the shooting, local law enforcement said they had multiple juvenile suspects in custody. While teenagers haven't been publicly named yet, Kansas City Police Chief Stacy Graves says there was no nexus to terrorism or homegrown violent extremism and that the incident appeared to stem from a personal dispute between assailants. And in a related story from NBC, two adult men now have been charged with murder in the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade shooting. The defendants attended a Super Bowl parade and rally on February 14th, 2024, and were armed with firearms. A verbal altercation occurred and gunfire broke out with no regard for thousands of other individuals in the area, unquote. Previously, two juveniles, as I said, were charged in the shooting in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker Gene Peters Baker, at a news conference announcing the charges, would not clarify if those minors had any connection to the adults who have now been charged. The charged adults who were injured in the shooting and remain hospitalized are being held on a million dollars bond each. Thank you, AG. And from Steve Holland of Reuters, the U.S. will announce a major package of sanctions against Russia on Friday over the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny and the two-year Ukraine war. President Joe Biden. This is what he said on Tuesday. Biden, speaking to reporters as he departed on a trip to California, did not give any details. The latest sanctions on Russia will target a range of items, including the country's defense and industrial bases, along with sources of revenue for the economy. This is from White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. The package will, quote, hold Russia accountable for what happened to Mr. Navalny and for its actions over the course of the war in Ukraine. White House National Security Spokesperson John Kirby. A senior U.S. official said a sanctions package was already being planned to mark the second anniversary of the war, which Washington will now reconsider and supplement in response to Navalny's death. The Treasury Undersecretary for the Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Brian Nelson, is discussing sanctions over Navalny's death as a trip to Europe this week. This is from two sources that are familiar with that matter. Nelson, in visits to Germany, Belgium, and France ahead of the second anniversary of Ukraine war, is also discussing Washington's authority to target those funding Russia's war production, uh, their production efforts, even if they are in third 
countries. The Treasury said this. It said the U.S. is, quote, aggressively pursuing those who attempt to evade our sanctions. The United States already has issued a wide array of sanctions related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th of 2022, including on the president, Vladimir Putin. Speaking to reporters on a conference call, Kirby said the United States is pressing Russia for, quote, complete transparency on how Navalny died last Friday. I seriously doubt they're going to get this from Vladimir Putin, but this is what Biden has said. He does blame Putin for this death. Kirby went on to say, quote, whatever story the Russian government decides to tell the world, it's clear that President Putin and his government are responsible for Mr. Mulvaney's death. Yep. Good. More sanctions. Okay. Absolutely. Although I am, it's interesting that, that they just didn't put all sanctions on like right at the beginning. I guess it's so we'd have more leverage later. I guess so. Yeah. All right, everybody. Um, we're going to be right back to talk to Alex Mohajer, and then we'll have some good news, but we have to take a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time to keep it blue. And joining me today is progressive grassroots candidate for California State Senate in Orange County's 37th Senate District, representing his hometown of Irvine in the state legislature. He's making history in this race. He would be the first openly gay legislator elected from Orange County, the first openly gay Iranian man elected anywhere in the world, and one of the youngest people in the California State Legislature. Please welcome Alex Mohajer. Hi, Alex. Hey, G. What's up? <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be back on the Daily Beans. It's been about four years. Listeners will remember the haps and our interviews from back in 2020, I believe. Uh, but now you are running for state, just state Senate. That's huge. Yeah. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited to talk about your platform. Let's talk about, first of all, you are running to fill a seat that is going to be vacated by somebody running for United States Congress, Dave Min, Democrat. So we yeah. want to keep this seat blue, which usually is pretty tricky in Orange County. But we flipped that most like most of Orange County blue in 2018, part of the blue tsunami. Yeah. And so t talk to me a little bit about who you're running against. What does this field look like? And then I'm going to ask you about your district. Yeah, sure. I'm running in a pretty crowded race. So this is a primary and California is a jungle primary state. And so the top two from either party will get will get passed. Um, and Cal Matters reports I'm one of the top fundraisers in this race. And I'm the only candidate in the race, Democrat or Republican, who's pledged to refuse corporate PAC, fossil fuels and other special interest money, which is why I'm really proud of the campaign we're running and why this my campaign is, I think, best suited for this district, because I think we have a proud legacy, starting with Katie Porter in 2018 of getting the corporate PAC money out. And I'm talking about both parties, uh, including the Democratic Party, our state legislative our state legislature, you know, our Democrats in the state legislature are taking a lot of money from corporate PACs and fossil fuels. And so I think this state legislative race is a, is kind of like a battle for the soul of, of Orange County and a real referendum on the direction we want the state to go. And yeah, so it's a crowded race, but we're doing a really, I think we're running a strong campaign and talking to voters every day and going to cross the finish line here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and even though you'll make history... I know you, and I know that's not why you're running. I mean, outside of the general idea to democratize and diversify our state assembly and our state senate. But I I know you. I know you are running to represent the values and the progressive principles of the people in your district. Talk a little bit about the makeup of your district. Well, thank you, because I don't want people to vote for me because I'm gay or Iranian. I just think that that's the cool history we're going to make, but not at all why I want people to support me. I want people to support me because we right now, the cost of living, health care and housing have all become unsustainable in the state of California. And people are looking at the Democratic supermajority in the state and wondering why things have gotten harder for them and not easier. And I am a reflection of the diverse population that we have here in Orange County, but I want people to vote for me because I think that we can make a change together when we elect, elect people from the community to represent it. So it's a ver very diverse district. We are 27% API, 23% Hispanic, 
25% of the voters are under the age of 30. We've got the highest concentration of colleges in this district in the state. So we got UCI, Cal State Fullerton, Chapman University, a lot of community colleges. Uh, and a third of the voters in this district are NPP voters who are no party preference voters who have trended Democratic. And I think it's really important um, for our long term prospects to make sure that we are we are reflecting the needs of those voters and they are voting for us now. But we've got to make sure that we continue to build on progress that we've made in the past to hold on to those voters and keep our coalition. And that coalition's important as we see what's you know playing out at the federal level. That coalitions are incredibly important for our long-term prospects uh, to protect the health of the, of the US, demo- of US Western democracy. So um, it's very important and a very diverse district. And yeah, I'm, I'm the son of immigrant, working class immigrants, like a lot of the uh, my neighbors here in Orange County who just grew up here, went to good public schools here, low income, single parent ha- household. My mom came here from Iran, you know, speaking barely any English and working multiple jobs, going to school at night just to make sure her kids go to good public schools. And that's the story of a lot of the families here in Orange County. And that's kind of the district and why I'm seeking to represent it. Yeah. And California is a little bit different. You know, when we flipped Orange County, much to my amazement and, and happiness in 2018 with the blue tsunami, we we didn't do it with moderate or right leaning values. We did it with progressive values. And and I think that that's kind of an important thing to state, because here here in California is different than a lot of other places. Like we just saw Swazi win his race. Right. To, to replace George Santos in U.S. Congress. And there was a lot, there was a very diverse electorate, a lot of uh, suburban areas. And a lot of the NPP voters there are moving to NPP because they want to get away from the hard right and the alt-right. But a lot of NPP voters in, in Orange County are moving NPP because they want more progressive action. So talk about what sets you apart uh, from from the people that you're running against in this in this jungle primary as far as your platform uh, considerations, gun control, climate, women's rights, uh, jobs, middle, you know, working families, talk about what sets you apart. Yeah, I mean, so I'm talk actually talking about some of these issues, which is uh, you'd think, <laughs> which you think would be uh, um, top of mind for any candidate running for a state legislative race. But you know, because some of my opponents are taking money from the same special interest lobbies that are holding us back from meaningful progress on climate and housing. I am really the only one talking about progressive forward thinking solutions to these issues. For instance, my housing platform is a five point housing platform that focuses on reforming the state's Costa Hawkins law to empower cities to implement locally controlled rent control ordinances paired with legislative tenant protections to protect renters. As we know, seniors and students are the fastest growing rate of homeless people in the state of California. and We don't have enough housing and discrimination protections legislatively to protect them from slipping into homelessness. And then the development of more affordable housing, which we know drives down uh, the demand and drives down the costs. And I'm proposing that we do that mixed density, mixed use, infill development near transportation hubs like the Irvine-Tustin Railway Corridor, which is one of the busiest railway corridors in the state, and also helps us meet our climate goals because EVs are not going to solve the climate crisis. So recognizing this intersection of transportation, climate, and housing policy, I think is something that progressives do and understand. And we can't get these things done and can't expect our legislators to get them done while they're taking money from these special interest lobbies and headline being the headline speaker at the apartment owners and le- le- you know association and other uh, luxury developer groups that are funding their campaigns. And that's why we're not getting meaningful progress uh, on these issues. Uh, and I am talking about a five point climate platform uh, that is very bold and future thinking. That's not just about the environment. It's about our economy. It's about California being on the cutting edge, on the front lines of tech and science innovation again and be growing our economy, creating new jobs and, yes, transitioning so that we achieve zero emissions in the state of California much faster. So um, I'm, I'm pl- proud because I think I'm the only candidate in the race that's actually talking about these issues. And Progressive policy is just common sense policy. And when we when we move away from hot button uh, buzzwords that I think 
that I think some factions have used to try to scare people away from common sense policy and just talk about the issues that matter to people. It resonates with folks. And I'm finding talking to people, you know, I'm sorry to go on a little long, but, you know, just the other day I talked to an 85 year old woman in Laguna Woods who's living on a couch because like most seniors in the state of California, she lives on survivor benefits and her pension or her social security. And it's not enough to meet her basic needs. And she's worried about becoming homeless, an 85 year old woman. And it gets me choked up every th time I think about it. And she said to me, please go and get solutions for us. And I take that really seriously. And I don't think that people are really paying attention to this, to the suffering of working class folks in the state right now. Yeah. And let's talk about the common sense solutions, because yeah. one thing that I learned in interviewing all sorts of candidates in all kinds of um, districts, uh, not just in California, but around the country in 2018 and 2020, is how all of these issues, the issues that uh, you, you know, you're running on, how they all intersect. Jobs impact climate, climate impacts jobs. Both of those things impact homelessness, along with affordable housing. Uh, and that impacts transportation and in turn, transportation impacts those things. And now if you would add the healthcare piece for me, because that is also part and parcel of all of those issues. And what makes a progressive platform common sense to me is that all of those things are connected. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, because, yes, it's absolutely tr true. True. That we're when, while we're talking about public safety and crime and housing, and uh, let's talk about the drivers of economic growth, healthcare and education. Those are the two. This isn't me telling you this. This is this is economists who are telling us this, that investments in the drivers of economic growth will improve health outcomes for everyday people, improve productivity, grow our economy, get people well. And a well society is less prone to crime. We have got this system that's really, really focused on punishment and incarceration. And while I do believe that our um, police do play a role in our in our society, we're that we need to invest in the wellness of our society, that if our elected officials are not talking about the root causes of crime, then they're not serious about policy prescriptions that improve uh, public safety in their neighborhoods. And so I'm talking about healthcare, housing and education as a as a solution to some of these issues. These issues are intersectional. So I am also the only candidate, I believe, who is calling for a single payer healthcare model in the state and expanding Medi-Cal access to ensure we achieve universal health care coverage, because right now tens of thousands of people in the state of California are going into medical bankruptcy every single year. And how many decades now have we as Democrats been talking about universal health care and still haven't achieved it? So I want to get it done. And I believe I belong to a generation of folks. I'm, I'm a millennial, so I don't feel <laughs> that I'm, a, I'm an elder, elder millennial, so I don't feel that young anymore. But I'll be 20 years younger than the average California legislator. And that's saying something because I got a sciatica right now that's killing me. But more importantly, but that's that that's the only thing you have in common with, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, I think my generation is looking to finally cross the finish line on this. I mean, I remember talking about this as a, as a kid um, and we're still not getting it done. I remember talking about climate change as a kid and I drive around my neighborhood. This I grew in the, the same neighborhood I grew up in. And I wonder where are the charging stations? Where are the solar panels? Where's the solar and wind infrastructure? Where's the how, how, why haven't we modernized our electric grid to, to anticipate the coming clean energy economy? So, you know, that's where the jobs are going to be. Yes. And they're going to be union jobs. Yep. And all of the steel that we need to make to or, you know, we need to produce to make those that infrastructure can come from a U.S. labor steel. Yeah. And before I let you go, I want to ask you about one last thing, because for the last God, 30, I, since I can remember, Democrats and especially progressives have been on their back foot when it comes to immigration on the defense. And now, because of the inaction of Republicans nationally, we can be on the front foot. We saw Swazi do it. We've uh, the, the voters spoke because there are a lot of things that were in that bill that got turned down that are humanitarian providing lawyers for unaccompanied minors, increasing the number of people who hear asylum cases for refugees fleeing countries where their lives are in danger and their children's lives are in danger, and visas and you know work visas and, and how that impacts the economy and healthcare and everything else in a very positive way, a trillion dollars in the next decade from, from immigrants. 
And so being in Southern California, talk to me about how you're going to front foot the, the immigration fight now that we actually have the upper hand because of the inaction of Republicans. Yeah, it's a big question I get on the campaign trails. A lot of people are worried because they've been sort of um, led to believe that the, the, there's just a crisis on the border. They've been lied to. They've been lied to for decades. Yeah. And our immigration system does need major reforms. And I do believe that it's been fell through the cracks under both political parties. Um, but right now you see that the, the Republican uh, legislators in Congress, U.S. Congress um, failed to take action on a bipartisan bill. And so this is more of a federal issue. It's not as I will have not as much power as a state senator on this. But I do support a humane pathway to citizenship. Uh, I think immigrants are a crucial part of our economy and are a part of the American story. I am the son of immigrants myself. I also know it's not easy. Uh, we also know that a lot of the myths about immigrants um, that are being sort of propagated are not true. You know um, that they're less that they're less um, prone to crime than than U.S. born citizens. Um, that 81 percent of the fentanyl arrest arrests in the United States are actually U.S. born citizens who are trafficking fentanyl. So I'm talking about dispelling some of those myths, uh, and I will support. Uh, legal protections for immigrants here. And I will have a liaison in my office that is dedicated to um, working with our immigrant community to make sure they've got the resources uh, to to have to get by here. And I think that's going to be really important. And I will work with our immigrant community and be proud to stand with our immigrant community here in Southern California. Amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to finally having this issue on our side after so long. Yeah. So thank you so much. Would you please tell everyone how they can find and support your campaign? Yes, the election is underway right now. So if you live in the 37th Senate District, Orange County, Irvine, Tustin, Costa Mesa, Laguna Niguel, Laguna Woods, Orange, Fullerton, uh, you have until March 5th to cast your votes. You can vote by mail. Vote centers are, are going to open up in about a week and you can vote in person if you're so inclined as well. Uh, you can learn more about me at alex4ca.com and visit me on social media at Alex Mohajer and sp spread the word with your friends and family in Orange County that it's time for a new generation of leaders in Sacramento and to represent us. And I'm proposing that that uh, be us. And I'm very proud of the campaign we're, we're running and I would be honored to earn your support. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Local, municipal and state politics is where the rubber meets the road yes. and local and state politics are national politics. Thank you so much, my friend, Alex Mohajer. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye, AG. Bye bye. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play any animal guessing game, what the fark is in your arc, please send that to us. We love your animal pictures and your pod pet tax. And if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can send us an adoptable pet in your area. We can see if we can help get that little fur baby or, you know, scale baby. People like lizards sometimes, spider sometimes. babies, adopt it out. Um, and, you know, see if we can put people in touch to find forever homes for those adoptable aminals. And then also self shout outs, shout outs to loved ones. If you have a shout out to a small business in your area you want to support or your small business or your big business, maybe you got a big business or maybe you like the movie Big Business, write in and tell me about it. <laughs> maybe you could tell me about uh, any good uh, experiences you've had with VA healthcare or student debt forgiveness stories, Wobby stories, blankie stories, stuffed animal stories, frog orgies, baby pictures, anything at all. Send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact, especially people's names and town pronunciations. We love those corrections. We want to be, uh, but here's the thing though, you'll probably tell me and then I'll forget. So Or you, I'll mispronounce the, the correction. The new way. Yeah. So just <laughs> yeah. send it in uh, and just keep keep letting us know. Uh, first up from Matt, no pronouns. Hi, all. I'm in the UK. I've been married to my wife from Ohio for many years, and we live in the UK. We've been having a really tough time recently. I just got out of hospital, and she's been updating me on everything political in the US. She listens to your show all the time. Daily question mark? And you shouting hello at the beginning always brings a smile to us both. 
It's her birthday on the 21st of February, and I was hoping you could say happy birthday to Bonnie. Happy birthday to you. you. Happy birthday to you. you. Happy birthday, birthday, dear dear Bonnie. Bonnie. Happy birthday birthday to to you. you. Clearly, we did not coordinate that. That's okay. Thanks all and love. Matt, thank you very much. And good job marrying a woman from Ohio. Right? Us folks from Ohio are pretty great. Nice job, Matt. And a happy birthday, Bonnie. This is from Dat, pronouns he and him. A-G, D-G. I was playing Legos with my grandson when he said, with glee in his voice, quote, Grandpa, you're going to die before me because you're old, end quote. I later reflected that this elation was related to having forbidden knowledge, like taunting your sister. I know what you're, uh, he's, quote, I know what you were getting for Christmas, that sort of thing. I was a little put off by his tone, but decided I wanted to explore this further. Would you cry if I died? I asked. Oh, yes. I would cry so much, he responded. Your schoolmates would see you and ask, why are you crying, friend? I posited. Well, I would say because my grandpa had died. That's what he responded. I reiterated, saying, you would say, quote, my Sabashtim has died. I hope I said that right. My Sabashtim has died. Oh, no, he cried, his face contorted by anxiety at the prospect. I would never use your real name. I think it's Sabashtim. I'm not sure. Sabashtim? Oh, God, that's so funny. Sabashtim. All right. This, I'm learning new things today. This exchange put me in the mind of my child's toy, who became real because a little boy loved him so hard. My having a real name is my assurance that I, like the Velveteen Rabbit, have a little boy who loves me with all my heart. All right, Dad, listen, you're going to make me cry. First of all, you're an excellent writer, and I'm not even done with the submission. P.S. My grandsons have called me Sabashtime. Sabashtime? Yeah, Sabashtime since they could talk. It translates to Grandpa the Second. Its origins are another story for another time. <laughs> you are quite the orator and writer. I love I this. I love it. I love it. I the Velveteen Rabbit. I like the Velveteen Rabbit. Oh. I have a boy who loves me with all his heart. Oh. I know. I almost lost it just then. Yeah, that got me. Okay, this next photo is brilliant. From Shannon, pronouns he, she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Cecily Whitworth, who lives in Montana and works tirelessly across the state, and it's a giant state, for early intervention education and language acquisition for deaf children. Cecily is deaf herself and is an incredible ambassador for deaf culture and the community to families who get a diagnosis of deafness for their child and feel thrown into the deep end of reimagining how they will communicate with and access education for their child. Cecily recently illustrated a poster depicting American Sign Language Alphabet with signs and concepts from the language, the language that coincide with each letter's hand shape. This is a creative linguistic tool that supports ASL literacy the same way the ABC book uh, the you know, A, Apple, B, Bear, the same way the ABC books support English literacy. Example, A is for Apple, B is for Bumblebee, C is for Cat, except that the ASL alphabet's corresponding signs are different than what you might expect. Hmm. In Cecily's brilliant poster, A is for Gorilla, B is for Firefighter, C is for Giraffe, and it goes on from there. It's one of a kind and especially fun for language nerds, ASL students, or anyone who likes to see something from a new perspective. You can purchase these posters at Cecily's website, included below. They're printed on thick quality paper, they're brightly colored, and they make great gifts or could be a resource in any classroom. Please support Cecily and her work for deaf language access across the state of Montana. And it's montanafamilyasl.org slash shop. For Pod Pet Tax, I've included a picture of my three-year-old son, Rourke. Is it Rourke? Because every time I watch Time to Kill and he calls her Roark, I get confused, but I think this this baby's name is Rourke. On a recent trip to a farm where he got to hold a baby chick. I've never seen him be so gentle or bond so immediately with an animal before. He sat holding this baby chick for 40 minutes and was uninterested in trading it for any other baby farm animal he was offered to hold. Bunny, kitty, pig, lamby, goat. I now find myself looking at videos for how to build a simple chicken coop. I think chickens may be in our future. Look at the baby with the chicken. It is so sweet. I mean, it's not a baby. It's a, he's a big boy, but holding the chicken. I love so it. Cute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that submission. 
All right. This is from Purple Reading Giraffe. Pronouns she and her. Hello to the best info catenators. Uh, yeah. I I, that's what it looks like. I like well, it. Gonna, okay. Let me know on a correction. Purple Reading Giraffe if I'm already fucking that up. This her lyrics. I've been listening over a year and puzzling over your intro lyrics. Best guess was who's Miss Mary? Last week, staring at my phone, I saw the lyrics printed right there, laughing my ass off at myself. News with swearing. <laughs> Who's Miss Mary? My pet tax is the best dog I ever knew. Forrest, who died two years ago and is missed. A versatile hunting dog, point and retrieve. He's also very smart and very well-behaved and well-loved family dog. It's a shame that Roughneck Kennels wouldn't allow us his genes to be carried on to improve the breed. It's truly a loss. And I think this is a what the mutt. And I sort of cheated on this. I already saw it. So I'm going to let you take a guess, AG, and see if you get some of these right. Healer, pointer, I didn't, hunting dog. <laughs> That's what now it is. I would like for you to pronounce the breed of dog this oh, is. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Brock de Bourbonnais. Thank Is you. And if it? you had gotten that and been like, oh, that's a Brock de Boronon. Bar- oh, yeah. Bor- Bor- Let's just edit that out. <laughs> oh, hey, Dana, that's a Brock de Bourbonnet. Don't you know? Oh, yes. That sounds like a <laughs> sauce that I would put on a steak. That's a beautiful dog, regardless. <laughs> oh, that's a Bourbonnet sauce. <laughs> Th- thanks for Do the you great have work. Eggs, you- Bourbonnets? Yeah, do you? Thank you. I'll take the Bourbonnais on the side. Thanks for the great work you do in helping us stay sane, hopeful, and motivated. <laughs> and thank you for the submission, Purple Reading Giraffe. Mm, Brock de Bourbonnais. I've never heard of this beautiful dog. Thank you. Next up from Gail, B5 Raven, Babylon 5, not Bravo 5, like Pete Struck said, LOL. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Gail. FYI, our local Aldi had some great chocolate bar choices, Aldi, excuse me, that I've not seen anywhere else. Pod Pet Tax, by the way, is our best buddy Cruiser, seen here with my running buddy and me, just after finishing last year's Shamrocks and Shenanigans 5K in Ann Arbor. He did great, but a bath was necessary afterwards. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes, it was. (laughs) This is fantastic, though. Shamrocks and Shenanigans. That's Love it. fantastic. Do you mind if I take those last one too? That was kind of short. Please knock it out. Is that cool? I'm going to knock this one out. All right. From Jen, pronouns she and her. Hello, wonderful queens of beans. This is sort of a self shout out. The other day was a kick-ass day from start to finish. Beans in the morning, as always. It's the perfect way to start my day. I teach eighth grade math at a STEM school. I'm lobbying for STEAM because, yes, the arts should be supported within education. And we had a fundraiser, and I had a great time with the kids all day while raising money for the American Heart Association. Then I heard about the $350 million ruling against the orange one in New York. And then after school, I was able to get tickets to AG's upcoming show in Columbus, Ohio. Yes. And then when I got home, I got some long-anticipated amazing news. I got the message that I officially passed my last qualifying stage of teacher licensure. Woohoo! Wow. That is a kick-ass day. Uh, How I got here is a bit of a long story, but the short version is I decided to go back to school at age 46 so that I could become a teacher. But life kept getting in the way. Between a divorce and taking care of my kids and then my mom, I was stalled for almost eight years until COVID when I finally had time to take those last few courses and pass those four, yes, four board exams. Got my resident license, taught for a year, and then my school building closed. So I needed to re-interview for some new positions. And I landed my dream job this year, a math position at a STEM school that approaches STEM subjects through three lenses, environmental science, healthcare, and wait for it, social justice. Teaching is hard in so many ways, but working at a school where my values are supported is a tremendous help. And finding out yesterday that I've now passed my residency is a huge milestone in my journey. I'm so happy and grateful to be where I am. Finally, I have to admit a big reason I wanted to write this is so you could see pictures of my amazing doggos. They're Vislas and extremely weird and wonderful. Our joke is that they're smart enough to be neurotic. (laughs) Chewy, the bestest boy, is all love Chess, short for Francesca, seems to think she's a person sometimes, as you can see in the last picture. Doesn't she look like a truck driver? (laughs) Thank you for everything, ladies. I'm learning from you and laughing with you. And Dana, thank you for being such an amazing advocate for LGBTQ plus and trans rights. I'm fighting alongside you for the sake of my gender fluid and trans kiddos. Yes. And the cis ones too. We all deserve a world where all people can be their true selves. 
Again, thank you both so much. Oh, look at that last shot. <laughs> it's so What's good. What's up? <laughs> they are goofy. Vishla's beautiful dogs. And that's a beautiful submission. Jen, congratulations. That was a kick-ass day. I will see you in Columbus, my friend. And thanks to everybody who sent in your good news. If you want those Columbus tickets, get them now because I have a feeling they might go quick. Um, and you can, Natalie's Music Hall, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Allison Love Gill. It. That's how you do that. Uh, any final thoughts today, my friend? Not today. Not today. All right. Thanks again to Alex Mohajer. Check out his website. Help him out in California's uh, Orange County, running for state senate there. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Maybe we'll have that goddamn immunity ruling from the Supreme Court. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone you know with you. Everyone, everywhere. It's primary season. Let's go. Let's do this. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.